One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Here we are, ladies and gentlemen, at the end of another tumultuous week in the wacky world of coronaphobia and consternation. The disease, we are told, has not gone away. The infection rates, we are told, are on the rise. And we need to lock down the northeast of England in order to save Christmas. Apparently. Meanwhile, keep your eyes on Newcastle's big market at 10pm tonight when everyone is told to go home. Let's see how that goes. You know, that's the place I always go to take pictures uh, of young women wearing boob tubes and very short skirts in the middle of very, very uh, minus freezing cold weather. Uh, And they don't look like people that will go home quietly, to be honest. And if they uh, get approached by COVID marshals at 10pm tonight, don't be at all surprised if uh, Her Majesty's Constabulary get called in uh, because there's a bit of a row and a bit of a rumpus and a bit of a ruckus going on. Amidst all the talk of potential second lockdowns, we will bring you instead, right here on the Independent Republic, an oasis of calm amongst the panic. Because there's no point in panicking, guys. I don't think there will be a second lockdown. I just think they keep warning that they might think about doing one because that's all they've got left, really. The weekend, of course, uh, is upon us. And there are plenty of reasons to celebrate that we live in a civilised, modern, forward-thinking country that is about to leave the European Union and sail off happily into the sunset. What's that you say? Hang on a minute. What can you see? What's that on the horizon? Oh, look, it's another boatload of illegal migrants. This week, Nigel Farage made a visit to the Napier Barracks, the place we highlighted the other day as the new home destination in Folkestone for 400 illegal migrants who are now claiming asylum in this country after entering it uh, without permission. We'll be catching up with Benjamin Lochnane from Migration Watch on what appears to be new policy from the Home Office, and we'll be finding out why yet another deportation flight was stopped from returning 18 migrants to Spain last night. We'll be talking to Nigel Farage in the near future about all of this. He put out another video yesterday Uh, having visited the site uh, of the Napier Barracks, which is high above uh, the sea and the English Channel there uh, in Folkestone. Uh, It also happens to be home uh, to one of the Gurkha regiments as well. Fascinating piece of video. Of course, we had one of the local councillors on the other day saying, nobody told us this was happening. It's all happening on Monday. We're not really sure what it all means. Coming up later on, we'll be finding out just why this government is so obsessed with testing as if it is some kind of golden ticket. I heard Lawrence Gerlis this morning, uh, one of our very good friendly doctors on talk radio, saying that, you know, testing is not the answer, basically. If they can't get it right, 
there's no point in continually telling people to go and get tested and then telling them not to get tested and then telling them to get tested again if they've got symptoms. Plus, we'll get the latest on the travel front as Thailand has now become a safer destination. And we'll be joined by Olivia Utley, the Sun's leader writer, with her take on the big stories of the week. 0344-499-1000 is the number to call us on, of course. And because it's Friday, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards, an homage to my brilliance in broadcasting. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. So earlier this week, we've had a couple of conversations already about what's been going on down in Folkestone because we got the word through uh, that there had been a move to put asylum seekers who are more or less at the moment are being put up exclusively in hotels up and down the country moving them uh, into army barracks. Now, it seems very clear to me that army barracks are now the new policy for the Home Office. What we don't know yet is whether the Home Office has actually given Serco, the company which is currently looking after all these uh, asylum seekers, whether Serco is involved in this or whether it's a Home Office uh, operation and a Ministry of Defence operation. What we know uh, from Nigel Farage's video that went out last night uh, is that basically the land on which the Napier barracks sit is part of a very large army parcel of land. Some of it's been sold off for houses in the area. Some of it is about to be sold off. Parts of it are still occupied by the army, including a section of the barracks, which are run by uh, the Gurkha Regiment, uh, and where Gurkhas still stay. However... Uh, last night I watched the video and spoke to Nigel and basically it looks as though uh, it turns out that the local people in that part of the world didn't know about it. The local councillors were not told about it. They have been now. Uh, It turns out that on Monday it's all going to start happening. 400 migrants are going to be moved in. It's not just happening there in Folkestone though. It's happening in Wales. It's happening up in the north of England as well. So we will be putting today questions both to Serco and to the Home Office in which we will be asking Is this now new government policy that you're going to move these um, asylum seekers, illegal migrants, out of hotels and into barracks? And if so, are they going to be confined to those barracks or are they going to be allowed uh, to wander about? Uh, The barracks are easily uh, sort of defended, if you like. You can easily uh, make sure that people who are in those barracks don't come out because they could operate as detention centres. But whether they are, we don't know. But let us talk now to Benjamin Lockland from Migration Watch UK uh, to find out what he makes of it all. Is this a new official development or is it just a more sleight of hand uh, by the Home Office. Benjamin, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Morning. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It seems to me that this is another kind of development in this story, which, again, we all have to sort of discover by stealth more than by uh, information, by any kind of press release, by any kind of instruction from the Home Office. It seems as though, um, you know, basically Nigel Farage has to uncover all of this stuff as it's happening. Yeah, well, actually, none of this needs to be happening. It's uh, a reaction, I think, from the Home Office to something which is totally unprecedented, which is the result of bad policy decisions they've been making for years on end. So in 2015, they closed Dover Detention Centre, which was an enormous facility in Dover, where we have the greatest strategic weakness in our border. We are 20 miles from the continent as a whole, and that is where everyone wishes to cross. Now, people who want to cross for good reasons, you know, for trade and all the rest of it, they use that uh, that passage in the Dover Strait for positive things for this country and for the continent. But those who also wish to break our law and come here and abuse our asylum system use it just as much. So getting rid of Dover Detention Centre has created a vacuum wherein people are now put in hotels and army barracks, not because the government have thought this through and it's because of policy they've decided is a good and positive thing, but because they're absolutely panicking 
saying, what do we do with all of these people? You know, we've had we've got this migrant crisis. Thousands of people are coming in. Where do we put them? Yeah. And they just need to find whatever building is suitable. So during COVID, it was hotels because no one was staying in hotels and they were all closed. So, OK, that's convenient. We've got thousands of people coming in during lockdown who, by the way, are breaking all of the social distancing laws under the sun to be in those dinghies. But that doesn't matter because they're a special class of people who the law doesn't apply to, according to this government. But if you gather in a park and have a picnic with your friends, oh, yeah, then you're going to get fined. Then you're going to get the full weight of the law crashing down on you. But they go, okay, all of these hotels are closed. All of them are, you know, sitting there waiting. We'll put them there. Ah, but then we, we, we exit lockdown. Hotels begin to reopen. They go, oh, no, now what do we do? Oh, great, we've got an empty army barracks. And it is like musical chairs. Yeah. People are being moved from one place to another. And eventually, we're going to run out of places to put them. And then what happens? You know, we have thousands of people who come in. And then what do we do? Well, that's the point. I mean, I'm looking at another story in the papers today about a second flight uh, that was due to leave this country for Spain last night, which was stopped for the second time. Uh, but it only had 18 migrants on it uh, who were going to be sent back to Spain through an agreement already made with Spain, stopped by by these kind of, you know, ambulance chasing human rights lawyers who said, oh, there's a bit of a worry that they might become homeless uh, on the streets of Spain. Well, I'm sorry, that's not really our problem, is it? Well, yes, but these activist lawyers wouldn't be able to do what they do if the law was strong and prevented against this. But we've got a weak and feeble asylum system, which is totally open to abuse. Yeah. And if it's open to abuse, you better believe there are people out there who will abuse it because uh, there is a lot of money to be made and a lot of careers to be made off the back of this sort of abuse. And there are plenty of people engaging in this sort of thing. And it is totally dishonest and wrong. But unless the government cracks down on it, then what to expect no exactly right it will and, and, to happen. and when you look at the numbers game benjamin you know what we do know is that there are hundreds of people coming in on a daily basis the best we can do is try and deport 18 and we can't even manage to do that well yes the human traffickers are clearly better at moving people than we are we mm. can't get more people out of the country than they can bring in in an hour i mean the, the sheer scale of their operation is um it, it puts the government to shame really because they are far more sophisticated and capable and competent and willing than our government which is weak and incompetent and feeble and has absolutely no political will whatsoever to do anything about this total crisis and scandal but it's not just the government it's also the opposition i mean if you're keir starmer say you're keir starmer sir conrad keir starmer now you're, and you you're starting are to really, so you're really trying box. to hurt me now benjamin is that what you're trying to do <laughs> you're leaning over the dispatch box and you have Boris Johnson in your sights. Why would you not opinion him on this? Why would you not point out the fact that he's totally failing to actually do anything to, to, to run the country properly? I, but I, I presume the reason he's not offering any opposition is because he agrees with Boris, mm. because they have the same policies. They have the exact same approach. And if we had a Labour government, we would have the exact same thing going on. So why would people vote for a strong majority a conservative party which has labor policies it's just totally farcical yeah absolutely right here's the bottom line as well um they also got elected uh, on on strengthening uh, immigration law they also got elected on strengthening law and order and on leaving the european union you know so far it's one out of three isn't it 
Well, I think the the unfortunate thing is the Conservative manifesto in 2019, certainly, but in previous years as well, is the moment the they get the votes in, throw the manifesto in the bin. So it's it, it's just a sort of a document they use to get the votes, and then they go, okay, great, that's done, and now we'll move on to what we actually want to do. Mm. But um, you know, at the moment we have a quasi-communist regime which is sitting idly by, not only while our borders are being breached, but while our entire culture is being effaced, and our civil liberties are being trampled over. So. Uh, you know, I, I'm at, at a loss, really, uh, as to how this government calls itself conservative and how we are currently in a system where we have no opposition, we have no alternative, and we are entering very quickly into a one-party state. Well, it's very weird as well, because for the first time, apparently, last night, uh, an injunction was actually brought in uh, to stop the flight from leaving uh, because the lawyers had come up with this wizard wheeze, as they always do. But this time, it was about uh, raising serious issues about the reception centre in Madrid. And until such time as that could be uh, sort of investigated, the flight cannot take off. So that'll give these guys about another six months, probably, uh, to hang about in Britain, God knows where, uh, while we can't get rid of them. Well, yes, clearly, when there's a will to do so, there's a lot that can be done legally. So when there's a will to keep people in the country, uh, the lawyers are all out in force, the judges are all out in force, the, the, you know, the, the, the passage of law goes on. And, you know, in the same way with coronavirus legislation, we can pass all of this emergency legislation with, you know, pretty much no problem whatsoever. There's no debate. There's no public consultation. It just goes through and then it's the law. So why can't we do it on our borders as well? Why can't we withdraw from Dublin, the Dublin agreement? And why can't we change the immigration laws to prevent these people from abusing our asylum system? Mm. All of that could be done. The only reason it's not being done is because the government doesn't want to do it. They don't care. I've said before that they're weak. I said that they're incompetent, but I think I might have to revise that. I don't think it's weakness. I don't think it's incompetence. I think it is deliberate complicity. You know, they are they are doing this deliberately. That, that can, that's the only conclusion I can reach at this point. Well, the only uh, reason I can see the only reason I can see for that to be the case, because I don't actually believe that they are politically in favour of people coming to this country illegally and hanging about and working in illegal sort of brothels and in illegal kind of slave operations. But I do think that there is a financial imperative for a lot of people, particularly Serco, the company, who are making an absolute fortune out of this business. And I wonder whether that could be a driving force of some kind. Well, absolutely. There's a huge amount of money behind this. This is a, a, a multinational, multi-million, multi-billion, in fact, pound industry. And uh, a lot of people in quite prominent positions are making a lot of money out of this. But I, I, the reason I'm saying it might be deliberate isn't because I think that anyone's gaining anything from it or because they support it. I, you know, I don't know what they would gain from it. I think it's a total scandal and there is absolutely nothing in it which is redeemable and no reason why anyone should support it. But why then are they not doing anything about it? They have an 80 seat majority. They're in a position of power and they could very easily pass emergency legislation as they have been doing mm. so for coronavirus. Yeah. And as, as they as the lawyers have been doing to keep people here. So what's going on? Why are the government not acting? Maybe it's incompetence, but I think at this point you can't say that, they, that it's incompetence because they're so competently doing yeah. a number of other things. It's actually a very good point because, because you know what they could be doing, actually? They could use the coronavirus legislation that they've now got in place uh, uh, and the permissions that they've got in place to do something about the migrants without even, uh, without even having to refer to Parliament in the same way as you've just described. Well, exactly. I mean, we've got uh, we've got all of this stuff that's been rushed through, which curtails ordinary people's civil liberties. Why not 
use that against people who are not only ordinary people, but in the country illegally in the first place. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people made the joke about the, the dinghies. You know, there's definitely more than six people in the dinghy uh, coming over. So they're already breaking that law, <laughs> apart right. from all of the other laws they break coming into the country. Uh, but it, there's a very serious point there. You know, um, th these people are clearly uh, a, a threat to public health. You know, you come in from the continent um, from the Calais camp, which The Guardian reported back in April, they predicted more than half the people in that camp would have coronavirus. Well, if all of these people are coming in and they might have coronavirus, then why can't the government use those powers that they've they've given themselves over the past uh, couple of months? Why can't they use those powers to get rid of these people uh, without even referring to immigration law. Yeah, well, indeed. And we've also had many uh, instances now of conversations about uh, with yourself and with Nigel Farage as well about, you know, how the Australians managed to win uh, over the uh, the illegal migrants that were coming to Australia and how they stopped them from coming. And we haven't even attempted to do that, it would seem. Well, no, I think um, what I think one of the major issues is that we don't have a proper opposition uh, fundamentally, the government are totally complacent. They know that whatever happens, they're not going to get uh, uh, dislodged from their current position because you have Keir Starmer over the dispatch box, who is effectively a paper tiger. He might talk a good game, but can you name one thing he said? Has he got one single memorable quote? No. Has he ever done anything of note? No, never. So the government know that they're in a position where they will never, ever be out of power because people continue to vote for them no matter what they do, no matter how much they fail, no matter how much they ignore the will of the people. We are sleepwalking into tyranny with this one state system, which is which is emerging from the total lack of opposition. Mm. What we need at the next election is a real opposition party. We need someone to step up. Maybe it could be Nigel if he would like to do it, but maybe it could be someone else. But we need something proper on the ballot so that people can oppose the government when they fail so that they can be held to account and so that they have a bit of fire on their tail to actually do the things that are necessary but at the moment they are sitting there complacent in uh, in parliament and in cabinet and in number 10 thinking oh well what should we do today should we pass some more emergency legislation mm. around coronavirus or should we ban seven people from meeting at a barbecue rather than actually going oh maybe we should secure the borders maybe we should do all of the basic things right. that the government should do well it makes They're a bit of a mockery themselves. does it it makes a bit of a mockery doesn't it benjamin of having any kind of covid lockdown of any kind if people are coming here from a country from which you're supposed to quarantine because they've got such a high rate of coronavirus even if it was only that that would be something well, one of my friends just came back from uh, Normandy and I was saying to him, you know, he was moaning um, and bewailing this two week lockdown. He has to mm. stay at home. And I said, well, you should have just jumped in a dinghy and then you would have been exempt. From <laughs> I it. know. Have, I mean, you, they probably would have. You, and you wouldn't be sitting at home. You'd be uh, sitting in a four star hotel and you'd be, you know, and you wouldn't have to worry about paying for the dentist because you get that for free and you get your phone bill paid. I mean, why did you bother flying? Yeah, that? I know. It's really quite <laughs> remarkable. And, and I mean, we're laughing about it because it is so ludicrous and it is so ridiculous. But yet, as I was saying to Lewis McLeod yesterday, who's going to be on the new spinning image, you know, it's hard to imagine satirizing the kind of satire that is currently going on for real. Yeah, I think at this point it's laugh or cry. Uh, it's so bad that um, you have to laugh because otherwise you'd just be despairing at all at all times. <laughs> it's, the government is totally weak. Uh, there is absolutely nothing being done to, to 
and it's a basic thing the border it's a basic responsibility of government making sure that the borders are secure yeah and we've managed it for a thousand years we you know we, we kept out um uh, napoleon we kept out the spanish armada we even kept out hitler in the 1940s so why can't we keep out a few people in a you know rubber dinghy i know because it, there's no will to do so it seems hard to believe benjamin great to talk to you once again thank you very much indeed benjamin lockbane uh, have a great weekend not not notwithstanding uh, the despair with which you refer uh, migration watch uk is his organization uh, it is in fact the case that the napier barracks was originally built to actually keep an eye on the english channel to look for a napoleonic invasion that's what it was there to do and now uh, it's housing people who have come here uh, without fear or favour, knowing that they'll be able to get all sorts of uh, help, all sorts of assistance. Uh, and they may even get to live here permanently, despite the fact uh, that they are not actually asylum seekers under the rules set down by the United Nations. It seems remarkable this story is still something that we have to talk about week in, week out on this show. Hardly anybody else will talk about it because it's not thought to be the right thing to do. Well, it is the right thing to do. We are supposed to be two weeks away from another lockdown. And yet there are people coming here from France, which is a country from which you and I would have to quarantine yourselves from. Uh, but they don't, it seems. They don't get tested for COVID. We get told they might get tested for COVID, but we can't get any straight answers out of Circo. Can't get any straight answers out of the Home Office. We will be attempting to get those for you today. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, I'm delighted to say we're now joined by Olivia Utley. Olivia, very good morning to you. Hello. Thank you very much indeed. Now, your job uh, is to sort of gauge the, um, the heartbeat of the nation, I suppose, um, and to write leaders in the sun, uh, which are kind of, this is what we think, and this is what we think you think. So um, it's always going to be an interesting, we're going to try and do this on a regular basis, that, that we try and sort of take the temperature, I suppose, of the nation as you guys see it uh, in the sun, which is in this very building uh, just down below us, I think. Um, so tell us, track and trace has been a big story this week. I mean, I assume uh, you've been tracking and tracing it all over the country, but even as we speak, um, we're going to talk to a doctor in this hour, and I'm going to put to him an idea that one doctor this morning said to Julie Hartley Brewer, this whole kind of obsession with, with testing has really got us into a right old mess, hasn't it? Well, yeah, I mean, it's made everyone think that we've obviously increased tests and that means that cases have gone up right. and like gone up isn't really the right word for it because mm. the tests just mean that obviously more people are getting tested positive for it. But, you know, if we're going to say that there is a crisis on and that we need, need it to be tackled, then obviously the way of sorting it is with tracking and testing and testing it as soon as someone's got it, then they, they isolate instead of having to isolate the whole country all right. the time. But the government just over and over again seems to have failed to have got something set up properly. So for ages they were going on and on about that app, which right. never really came to anything. This is the app that started off in the Isle of Wight and then sort of disappeared just somewhere in the Solent, right? Completely Somebody disappeared. Somebody threw it off the ferry and just went, <laughs> this isn't working. It was uh, like, they they decided to get the NHS making an app instead of Apple and Google were offering to make it. But right. instead of getting Apple and Google to make it, they got the guys who do the like IT stuff at yeah. the NHS. Yeah, great idea. These are the people idea. that can't actually run the NHS, <laughs> never mind run an actual piece of technology. But the other thing, right, is they're telling us there's going to be another app now, isn't there, in a couple of weeks' time? I mean, I haven't heard much about that this week, so I don't know whether that's been put on the back burner again. Well, yeah, they probably are planning another app and they seem to always think that these apps will do instead of human contact. Mm. But... We've known from the beginning, you know, I don't know about you, but if I got a text from an unknown number telling me that I had to stay inside my house for two weeks right. but because of reasons unknown, right. I don't think I could take it very seriously. So you need to have proper traces, well-trained people yes. who give you an actual call, talk to a human being, and then people are far more likely to listen. But the government has just failed to do that. Right. So there's no proper track and trace system working. Mm. And 
because that's such a failure and because the government is desperate to distract from that failure, they're doing things like slapping on the rule of six, trying yeah. to get old people to turn against young people. Right. Um, the snitch squad and all the that. The snitch squad. Oh, that's so awful. That mm. really infuriated our readers. We got a lot of calls to the news desk about that. Right. People don't want to snitch on their neighbours. It was a sense of community that brought everyone together during the last lockdown. Mm. That's what got us through being friends with our neighbours right. and like meeting people on the doorsteps for those NHS claps, etc. That was great. Community spirit. And now we're being asked to turn yeah. right on those people. And I always wonder when I watch, because Kit Malthouse was the first one to sort of break cover on the snitching thing because he was asked, well, would you call the police on your neighbours yeah. if they had a party of seven in the garden? And he's like, oh, well, of course I would. And you wonder, I always wonder whether they had a, a session before he went in, in to do the interview with his special advisor and they kind of, you know, wargamed the whole idea of what questions might you be asked. Because mm. I don't think they did on this one, right? No. Because you'd think that would be one of the first questions you would say, well, this, this is probably what they'll ask you. Would you snitch on your neighbour? What are you going to say? Right? And he could have prepared something a bit cleverer. But then Pretty Patel said the same thing. I know. And you think, really, would they? I mean... And then what does that say about our elected politicians? I, I mean, why would you want to be locked down next to someone who you'd snitched on the day before? It sounds very it awkward It really does. Me. And it's also, it's a recipe for disaster. I mean, I was joking earlier on on my opener about the big market in Newcastle. I don't know if you've ever been there. But it's a very rowdy kind of, you know, young people's paradise, right? Where people go out very late on a Friday and a Saturday night and sometimes maybe on a Thursday night. And it's full of very drunk people wearing very few clothes um, and, uh, you know, having a good time. Can you imagine at 10 o'clock tonight, a load of guys in orange vests show up and go, all right, guys, break it up. Time to go home. I don't think they're going to go home. No, I don't think they're going to go home. And who are these COVID marshals going to be? What sort of person <laughs> applies to that job? I know. Weird role. Well, I saw, I mean, given that we're supposed to have no money in local authorities, somebody had sent me on Twitter an advert in Birmingham. They're looking for 60 of them. They're getting paid £30,000 a year. Uh, it's a it's a term of three months minimum where they're going to get all sorts of benefits. They get driven to the location that they have to police. I mean, it's not a bad job. Not but, a I mean, bad where's job. the money coming from? But, you know, if you're going to spend that much money on people to deal with COVID, then get them tracing. Get them yeah. calling people who've traced the disease and actually find out what's wrong. Don't well, just extra police I know. there. To... And also, again, a recipe for disaster because people are not going to take kindly to being told what to do, where to go which direction to walk in, you know, how many people they can stand next to. But I've been hearing tales from uh, from all sorts of parts of the country where um, restaurants are, are cancelling bookings. They're saying, look, we know that you could come as, a, as two groups of five, but, you know, we're being told we're going to get uh, harassed, we're going to get punished, they're going to be sending COVID marshals into restaurants. To, and I said, so I said, well, what's to stop me going into a restaurant with, say, four friends, sitting down, and then talking to the table next to me even though I don't actually know them. You know, it's called socialising, which some people have forgotten clearly how to do. Um, you know, what are they going to do? Come in and accuse me of knowing them. And that way, then I have to be handed a £100 ticket for knowing somebody on the next table. I think COVID marshals are just going to turn out to be a bit of a joke. <laughs> I mean, we spoke to a, a track and trace guy last week who rang in to, to explain how difficult his job mm. was, because he basically said, we're only allowed to ring people. We're not allowed to leave a number for them to call us back. So that means that if they don't answer the phone, which a lot of people won't do if they don't know the number, then we never speak to them. And we try about 20 times. And if we don't get anywhere, we just give up. Simple as that. And you kind of, and I, I said to him, what happens, say, for example, if you have a flat share and you find somebody in your flat has got COVID-19, they have to self-isolate. Does everybody else have to? Mm. And he didn't know the answer. And then 
And then where does it go from there? And if, if you've been at work during the day and then your flatmate's isolating, do your workmates have to isolate? And do the people who they've seen during the day have yeah. to isolate? No one really knows the answers no. to these things. So why isn't money and time being injected into that right. rather than into but this is again, policing Newcastle Yeah, and it brings it all back to this idea that we must get tested, just get tested, but no, don't get tested yet because uh, we haven't got enough tests. So wait for me tested after the teachers have all been tested and the kids have all been tested. And I mean, there's another kind of madness going on there because some schools are taking it very seriously and sending entire years home mm. because somebody's got it. And in other schools, uh, they're, they're, they're being more sensible and saying, well, only the immediate friends of the, of the kid that's got it should go home. So there doesn't seem to be any consistency going on. No, no consistency at all. And yeah, that must be, sounds like quite a fun time to be at school. I'd imagine yes. the kids are just rubbing up against the person who's been diagnosed with coronavirus and <laughs> oh, they take two weeks again. off. Oh no, my best mate, Matt, yeah. he's the one who's got it. Oh, I know. But this is the thing. So are you finding that your sun readers are kind of all at the end of their tether with this? Yeah, completely. I think really at the start of lockdown, all of our readers were taking it so seriously and so willing to follow all the rules. Mm. And now quite a lot of people just see it as completely farcical. Yeah. And when they can't see the logic in the rules, they don't they don't really see the point in obeying them. Right. And that's, that's the sort of spirit that we've been picking up on. And we really get the impression that I mean, it's very clear that the government's trying to turn the nation on each other. Mm. It's blaming people for getting too many tests. So people are looking at their friends and neighbours. After telling them to get them. After telling them to get them. But people are looking at their friends and neighbours and being like, oh, are you the one who's hoarding coronavirus tests? Telling us to snitch on people, trying to blame the young so that the old are blaming the young. It's all these different ways that the government have got of trying to get the people to turn on each other rather than on the government. It's not working either. It's not working and it's very blatant and people are picking up on it and don't like it and don't want to follow these new rules no it was good to see uh, just to get off that subject for a moment that there was uh, a return to the old sort of um, class warfare going on with the Labour Party where Angela Rayner I was a bit disappointed I was looking forward to Angela Rayner absolutely ripping Boris Johnson to shreds partly because um, not because she's you know intellectually brilliant or anything like that but because she's a woman it put him in a quite awkward position because no matter how he spoke to her you'd think that you know he would be accused of sexism or mansplaining or something like that but in fact um he appeared to be very confused when he started to speak because he was kind of like, oh, um, um, and he didn't really know sort of how to react Good at imitation. all. And she went a bit easy on him, I think. Yeah, I think she did go a bit easy with it on him, um, which I don't think anyone was really expecting. As you say, I completely thought she was going to rip him to shreds. Yeah. Um, I thought this this whole class thing was hilarious. Um so this grouse shooting yes. you know that's the way the way you can get out of it I was talking about this on Twitter saying that I was planning a birthday party at the beginning of October I was planning to have like 30 people around in the patio for, mm. for drinks what if they all bring guns then right. that's legal what an <laughs> absolutely bizarre rule um, but we or were saying game yeah just, just a pigeon just one. how many how much game do you need to have yeah. can we all, all right. be shooting one game <laughs> one pigeon uh, anyway um, yeah but the, the thing was I think that everyone found that quite funny um, and then Labour sort of tried to turn it into a class thing, tried yeah. to say it was all about the Tories just allowing... And looking after their friends. Posh sports. Does, yeah. does she not try and suggest that one of the guys that um, that has grouse shooting at his estate is in fact a Tory party donor or something, or a friend of Boris Johnson? So he tried to make it into like he's looking after his mates. Yeah, which I never really think washes. I mean, our take on that in The Sun was if people cared about class war, then Boris Johnson would not be our Prime Minister, right. you know. 
actually people quite like toffs on the whole. Yeah. Um, so I don't really think that works. I think Labour tried to turn the grouse shooting thing obviously came across as completely ridiculous, mm. but that was because it was so illogical, not because of any kind of right. class problem. that the country But of course, had. it's not the only illogical thing. I think people, people are more uh, upset, I would suggest, by um, Black Lives Matter protests being exempt as well. And also Extinction Rebellion marches being uh, being sort of allowed when you can't meet seven people in a bar. Absolutely. You know, absolutely mad. So as far as um, the BBC goes, that's been a big story this week because we've been talking about it here. Uh, of course, the pay rise for um, Zoe Ball was the was the one that we kind of focused on because Kevin O'Sullivan worked out that she got a pound for every listener that she'd lost, thereby increasing her pay by something like 950,000 quid, oh, which right. under any circumstances is a bit ridiculous. But given the current state of the BBC and the scrutiny that it's under was quite remarkable. Yeah, and you can you can see, I mean, there's good evidence out this week um, to show that people genuinely hate it. It's not just us and the Sun mm. and at Talk Radio right. who are furious with the BBC. It's ordinary people because the, the amount of people in the country with TVs is growing, but the number of people with TV licences licenses is going down. Yeah, like a quarter of a million down, right? Yeah, exactly. So people just are refusing to pay. And, I mean, you can't blame them. Like, it does seem like the BBC has a death wish. You get these awful figures. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at UH1.com. That's UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's coming mm. out. Then a couple of weeks ago, there was this story where, um, where they were saying that they, that, you know, they, they had to cut the Victoria Derbyshire show. That was, oh, that yeah. was one thing. You know, a popular current affairs show that people quite like. Mm. Um, and they had to cut that because they just don't have any money. Oh, Bleeding hearts, poor ass, little tiny violin. Right. Um, and then they've got a, a correspondent for gender and identity yes. writing some ridiculous thing about a podcast in Russia, which mm. no one has ever listened yeah. to. And you think, well, you didn't have to cut the Victoria no. Derbyshire show. Well, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, I don't hold any brief particularly for Victoria Derbyshire, but it seemed a bit unfair that she was the one person they singled out and just decided to go, right, that's it, you're off. And of course, she's not off because nobody ever gets fired from the BBC. She's not. She's still doing the news. Yeah. Every time I look up to Victoria she's Derbyshire's there. on, it's like that woman who got fired for, or supposedly quit in China, who nobody had ever heard of, who's now on BBC World Service every single day as its main presenter. 
She's never done more work for the BBC since she got fired. Yeah, exactly. It really is very weird. And then there was the whole Sue Barker question of sports thing as well, which came on top of it, which everybody then got very worked up about. Yeah, and obviously it's also all come off the back of this um, Rule Britannia, should we have the yes. lyrics, the land of hope and glory. I think that Tim Davey, the new director of the BBC, is definitely making the right noises. Mm. It's going to come down to whether he's just doing it because he wants to keep the licence fee and to keep Tory MPs happy, yes. whether he reinstated Land of Hope and Glory, or whether, he's, or whether he genuinely means what he says and is going to... He, he was talking about cutting it down to size, that he was saying that they're spread too thinly, that they should be doing a lot less. Mm. Um, and, and it's true. I mean, why are they, why are they doing... Why are they making programmes that talk radio could be making, for yes. example? It's just treading on the toes of competitive. Well, I've said this for many a year that they're, 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 they're sort of their local radio stations, which a lot of people think to provide a good service. I'm not one of them, mm. I'm afraid. But they basically make it impossible for any commercial operation to make any money whatsoever in a place where, for example, we've got BBC Surrey, you've got BBC Kent, and you've got BBC Sussex, three stations covering a very, very small area all with different and, and, and exclusive presenters. They do all their own shows. They've got their own traffic people. I mean, it's just ridiculous. There's no reason. You know, 61 uh, individual local radio stations they've got. It's just too many. Absolutely. And the other thing is podcasts. Podcasts mm. is one thing where it's very easy to get into media because it's not very expensive to make your own podcast. And, you know, tiny little podcasters who've just got a bit of a way about mm. them and are good at it the small guys make very successful podcasts yeah. but then the BBC comes in and just does the same thing and gets Peter and Crouch just soaks doing everybody a, up. and just yeah. soaks everybody yeah. up and you well just I heard think. I was listening to Radio 4 one night a few months ago um, and they were talking about this new podcast they were launching which was aimed at get this 20 um, somethings in India I'm going excuse me uh, why don't you make one for 20 somethings in Britain for one that's what you're supposed to do what mm. on earth are you doing making it for people in India you know nothing against people in India but why are the BBC making a podcast for them absolutely well it's his obsession with chasing the young who mm. on the whole don't really listen to linear radio or linear TV anyway no. they're all on YouTube right. so it's a wild goose chase anyway well I mean our online numbers are growing massively because an awful lot of people like the idea of watching us uh, on, on YouTube they like the idea of listening to us on their phone on an app and they like the idea of listening online when they're at work. They don't. They're not interested in buying a DAB radio or you know buying an old-fashioned Roberts you know FM radio for heaven's sake. Absolutely. Not, not, not and then bothered. the BBC spends all of their money trying to chase these listeners and viewers who aren't actually there. No. Watching talk radio. On exactly. Phone. Now, finally, let's talk about the royal family because uh, I suppose you couldn't really compare and contrast any more uh, between the uh, the Duke and Duchess of Netflix, as I call them, over in uh, <laughs> over in Montecito, <laughs> and Princes Prince William and, and and his wife Kate. Yeah, absolutely. So. It just always strikes us what when you're watching watching the royals quite closely. So much of what they do is so unglamorous mm. and just really uh, very dutiful. And it's and it's quite worthy of it, isn't it? So worthy and having to rock up at in Sunderland at seven AM to be very polite to mm. the new station master of the station or, or yes. whatever. And basically Meghan and Harry just couldn't really be bothered with the hard work of no. it and are now sw swanned off to their to their mansion. Yes. And you see poor William and Kate, they're so plucky you know getting up every day and having to do this and well they do the job that they're stuff. supposed they just to do, do the job that they're supposed to do mm. quietly just getting on with it every day and it's just so obvious that, mm. that harry and megan couldn't hack the hard work no i see that also she um kate did that thing that some people can get away with where she has the matching dress and and, and mask which i thought was, was part of the new chic presumably yeah that's that's very kate isn't it and dressing up in nhs blue to go out for the clap on the stairs i mean yeah. 
it's it's so boring and she must feel kind of silly doing it all. But that's what the country wants from her. Yeah. That's, that's but also, exactly do you remember what... when she first became his wife and there was this terrible kind of backlash against her family who were seen as these kind of upstarts from, it's hilarious, from, isn't from it? you know, the home counties. No, she's Look, a she's a former stewardess. <laughs> now, of course, she looks like the icon of cool yeah, and the absolute the woman her. that belongs in the royal family because Meghan <laughs> has made such a hash of it. Yeah, I think she must be quite grateful for what Meghan's done for her reputation. Apparently, I mean, you'll know this better than me, but... I mean, people that, that know the royals, as it were, say they really hate each other now. And I mean, I can't see. I mean, Prince Harry, for example, uh, is meant to come back here, apparently, in the new year to stay for five or six months. It's not clear whether or not she's going to come with him or they're going to bring baby Archie with them. Nobody really knows that. But it seems like he's really kind of chosen his, uh, you know, his side of the, of the aisle, if you like. And I don't think he's ever going to be particularly welcome back here. No, I, I think... I mean, what do Sun readers say about him? I think they're pretty fed up with him. I mean, the son loved Prince Harry and mm. were very supportive of Meghan. You know, she complained about what the tabloid said about her. There are so many pages of positive coverage of Meghan Markle right. in both the Mail and the Sun and etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But it does just feel as though they've shirked their duties and have gone off having having taken the royal brand. They've turned it into a brand, yeah. the royal family, which right. I don't think people like, particularly British no. people. Well, they're doesn't... now named as one of the top uh, 100 influencers in America by Time magazine, which yeah. is a bit tacky, really, it's, isn't it? The whole thing just seems very, very tacky. Mm. Um, and I think people are just a little bit fed up with them. And then they try and get attention by, you know, suing another paper or right. something. And or doing another video. I think people are a bit... They don't really want to give them the attention no. anymore. I think no. we just won't be talking about I, them I by think, I think that they're, they're going to be in for a bit of a shock as well because I don't think that that many people are going to be that interested in, in their kind of, you know, message of hope and, you know, the sort of, you know, crying out of the rubble of the 15-bedroom mansion or whatever it is with, you know, 19 <laughs> toilets and you yeah. know, just about getting by, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, they're trying to make it as... I saw this amazing thing. That they're, sort of, <laughs> they're trying to make it as though, oh, we're these young people who've just managed to buy our first house. Yeah. Poor us, we've got yeah. this big mortgage. Right. Just and Harry, at the age of 35, attempting to be financially independent, he's <laughs> yeah. got like £30 million in the bank. get a little round of applause. Yeah, well done, it. Harry. Yeah, you well know, done. Most of us Good had job. to do it when we were quite a lot younger than that, to be honest. But there we are. <laughs> Livia Utley, Deputy Leader Writer at The Sun. Thank you very much indeed. We'll see you hopefully same time next week. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We've been talking this morning quite a bit about tracking and testing. Uh, we've been talking about the Times, page one headline, about chaos and inefficiency in the COVID-19 testing labs. I've come to the conclusion, however, um, that this kind of obsession with testing uh, is making everything skewed. Because I heard Dr Lawrence Gerlis, uh, GP on uh, Julia Hartley Brewer's show this morning, and he agrees with me that actually the obsession with testing is now actually counterproductive. Because all that we talk about is making sure that loads and loads of people get tested. When in fact, that is not really necessarily the way forward because it's the interpretation of those tests which is important. Let's talk to Dr. Wakar Rashid, consultant neurologist and MS expert, of course, as well. We've spoken to him many times on this show. Uh, Dr. Wakar, a very good morning to you. Welcome back. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Not at all. Um, I'm not saying, obviously, that people shouldn't be tested. But what I am saying is that the government seems to have been obsessed with testing uh, ever since kind of day one. You know, when we didn't have enough testing, that was a problem. Uh, then they assured us they were going to get to a particular number of tests every day. And there were arguments about whether they were doing that, whether it was capacity. You know, we seem to be being sort of um, hoodwinked into believing that this sideshow is more important maybe than the actual infection rate and the danger. 
yeah, I, I, I think it is a sideshow in, in a lot of ways. Um, I think we've lost sight of what the purpose of testing is, and it's to see if you've got the infection right. or not. Well, um, well, exactly. And also, yeah. if you have got it, how dangerous it is, what level of infection you have, and exactly how um, infectious you are, I suppose. And we don't get that information from the test. No. Um, no. So, you know, you you could, if we got that information, if you got a, a, an indication about the, your infectivity, uh, then that would be really helpful, but we don't. Uh, what we get is an indication of if you have uh, evidence of uh, the virus and it could be active or not, we don't know that. Uh, and so clearly, if you haven't got symptoms, it's not a it, it's not a very useful test. Now, if you've got symptoms in keeping with COVID, then having a positive test is very helpful because then you know you need to isolate and people around you, your close contacts, uh, we need to isolate. But otherwise, you know, we've completely lost sight of why we're testing, and we're mm. testing okay, we're testing for testing's sake. Yes, exactly right. And sort of telling everybody to go and get a test if they wanted to was clearly an error by the government because they created their own shortage, if you like, and yet. We keep hearing other, you know, sort of contrary stories, which is that there are certain testing centres which are lying empty because nobody's going to them. And I'm told now there's a slight problem uh, with the actual app itself or with the postcode entering uh, into a, a, an online sort of um, quiz where basically you're being sent to, to the wrong place. There's clearly something wrong about the way that the testing uh, appointments are being made. Yeah, I mean, it, it shows how it, it, it's very difficult to do these national things. And it's obviously you have to grow very quickly. Uh, but I would say, you know, they've obviously been given a, a mandate to say, let's test as many people as possible. Let's get it up and running as quickly as possible. So that inevitably problems occur in, in that situation. Mm. But again, going back to the original point, what is the purpose of it? Mm. And do you actually need to do this? The, the, the testing is really most important in hospital and care sectors for pe and for people who have got uh, highly suggestive symptoms. Yeah. Otherwise, you 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 know the, the point of it is becomes really lost. Yes. Well, I mean, I read a, a, a report over the weekend, I think, in which it said that something like between seventy and eighty percent of those who have coronavirus show no symptoms whatsoever. So presumably, there's loads of people walking around. Um, who don't get tested because they don't think they need to, uh, but they could be infecting loads of people anyway. Well, I think this is this is a the issue that was happening in in the actual peak infections, hospital infections, March April time mm. was you know there was no community testing done then because you know we the testing capacity wasn't as great and also you know we had our hands weren't truly really full in the hospitals and so that's when testing was done and. Uh, uh, you know, people, if they had suggested symptoms in the community, were just assumed to have COVID. They, they, they weren't tested to prove it. And obviously, people who didn't have symptoms wouldn't get anywhere near a test. So the, the, the testing strategy has completely changed over recent months. And that's why I, I, and I see this a lot and I hear it a lot. People mm. attempting to extrapolate back to numbers from March, April, May, and it's completely invalid. Yeah. What you're doing now is totally different to what was done before. So you can't compare back. And so the level of positive testing now is completely incomparable to the levels, uh, you know, several months ago, the assumption would be that had we been testing to the degree we are now, we would see many thousand times more positive tests when we were actually in the peak infection in, in March, April time. And the correlate to that is obviously in terms of the hospital admissions at mm. the time.
No, quite. And I mean, as far as the way that the, com- that the government is kind of steering things at the moment, you know, we've got this lockdown going on in Newcastle and up in other parts of the northeast of England. Uh, we're being told that there might need to be more lockdowns in Lancashire now, very possibly. You know, they keep saying they don't want to have a second lockdown overall in the country, um, but they seem to be in some ways softening us up for that. Um, how does the testing scenario actually help matters? Because it doesn't appear to be at the moment doing anything good. I think you know we we're happening we're having a lockdown by degree or in instalments and so it's going to get wider and wider the direction is that the the coverage of uh, lockdown is going to increase over time and the thing you've got to remember is that uh, with the way that testing strategy is now uh, when you have an area of where whatever they call it concern or whatever where cases start to appear then testing gets more focused in those areas contacts uh, particularly if they have symptoms and the symptoms could be very mild and non-specific then get tested and so you you have this cycle where more tests more positive tests lead to yet more positive tests because the more you look the more you find and so places like bolton uh, the northeast looks happening now preston they they just get into a cycle of more restrictions uh, and um, we seem to be totally intolerant of even a relatively small number of increase in hospital admissions. Nobody's pretending that COVID has gone away. It's there, it's still there, it's real, it is a potential threat to us. But you have to have a degree of proportionality as to when, at what level it is appropriate to have very significant mm. restrictions placed on people, which are actually harmful. There, again, seems to be no acknowledgement from what I've heard as to these measures actually harming the uh, population because of making other medical conditions worse. It seems to be uh, an easy option, the way it's portrayed, uh, or just it just has some economic effects, and that's not true. It has health effects mm. as well. And there doesn't seem to be any factoring in about the detriment to our health caused by these restrictions. Well, that's the problem, because I'm told this morning that in Bolton, there's literally only two people who have been hospitalised as a result of the new infection rate going up, which tells me that the people who are becoming infected are not having to go to hospital, which surely should have a much bigger influence on government policy than anything else. Because if they could be assured that, yes, infection rates are going up, but also, yes, the country is not being damaged, individuals are not having to uh, be put on ventilators and individuals are not risking death, then, you know, why the lockdown? So I think um, the, the the latest figures that I've seen, I think the figure that the two is based on was on the 3rd of September. So we'll, we need to see when we get more um, up-to-date figures. But I think we have, we've got to, and I, I, I've said this on, 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 on Twitter, so we've got to be grown up about this and you've got to accept, no one's saying... COVID's gone, it's still there, and it will make some form of resurgence, as all winter viruses do, in as the weather changes and so on. So we've got to be grown up and expect these fluctuations, and there may be uh, additionally new uh, admissions that, that go up. But is, is, what is the point that you say we have to then impose restrictions across the whole of population? which actually cause harm. Mm. And I think the threshold is way too low. If I give you an example, um, and uh, Professor Carl Hennigan um, said this in his evidence, I think for the select committee yesterday, um, the normal level that one would c- declare a crisis or, or, or epidemic or further action necessary in terms of respiratory viruses is a rate of about 400 uh, 100,000. Mm. At the moment, the areas that we're talking about, Bolton and Preston and so on, it's about, it's about 50 to 100 yeah. per 100, well below the usual threshold that is set for, for normal respiratory uh, viruses. 
The other problem, of course, uh, Wakar, is that if there was to be, say, a lockdown, which they've suggested would be for two weeks, all that that would really do would be to put everything on hold for a while. And then as soon as we lifted it again, then we'd be back to where we are now, wouldn't we? So there's, there's a very clear pattern. And this happened in March and it's going to happen again. The only thing that has really definitively, in my opinion, caused a drop in uh, COVID infections, significant infections in hospital has been uh, the seasonal change and uh, and the, the susceptible population it running through the susceptible population, sadly, with very serious consequences, extremely serious consequences. Mm. The actions that were taken, the measures, apart from hand washing and sensible isolation of people who could have illness, the, the evidence gets very, very tenuous. And uh, so what we're going to happen, we've got the rule of six now. Already you can see that the government are preparing us for the fact that this may not work by saying about these, this uh, whatever they call it, circuit parade or whatever they call it. Um, so they're already preparing the ground that these measures are not going to work. And that's because they don't work. Uh, because what they do is they try at best to suppress artificially. Uh, and I think we, we're living in a time, I think, of incredible, um, how should I put this, um, unrealistic expectations mm. of what medical science can do. We um, are not able with doing rules of six to tell a virus to go away. A virus is uh, will do what it wants to do if it finds susceptible hosts and we've got to then try and protect people as much as we can to avoid the, the, the terrible deaths that occurred again, which occurred in, in March and April. And that's where the focus must mm. be. And that would appear to be not happening at the moment, certainly. Um, and the NHS would appear to be in pretty good order. Um, and all of the things that were not necessarily um, clear back in March and April are a lot clearer now. So it seems to me that the government needs to be a bit more kind of agile, does it not, um, in moving along with the, no the, with the new knowledge, if you like. I mean, certainly if there's, if there's another outbreak within care homes, as there, were, as there was in early spring, that would be a, a disastrous mm. outcome and really hard to understand how it's been allowed to happen. Um, you, you know, they, we know the most susceptible people do this. Uh, in truth, I think we knew it before because coronavirus is not that new and they always do target the vulnerable. And so, you know, that's, uh, we must must protect those people. And, uh, you know, we, the experience over the months reinforced that. So that's where you've got to put in your all your effort. Just, uh, just locking down everybody else and making everybody else's health worse in the process it seems to me to be counterproductive. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. Dr. Wakara Rashid, consultant neurologist there, uh, talking to us about the whole testing situation. There's no doubt, uh, it seems to me, that it hasn't been done particularly well. Um, I don't necessarily blame any particular organisation for that, but testing everybody just simply isn't the answer. And we already had differences of opinion within the cabinet anyway, where Matt Hancock would say, test, test, test. And then you go to Grant Shapps and say, can we test people at airports? He goes, no, we can't test people at airports because that doesn't work. So how does it work outside of airports? Is different testing outside of airports? No. The point is, is the obsession with this, and partly I blame the media as well for it, because they've been obsessed with this testing and the numbers. You remember those media briefings where they'd go, well, how many tests have you done today? Well, we've done 500,000 today. Uh, actually, no, you haven't. You've said that you could do 500,000. You've only done 200,000. Who cares, right? All we care about is getting the country back, getting the world back, being able to go places, being able to have people visit us, and to be able to hang about with our friends. That's what we want to do. We do not want to be constantly told to sit down, 
go over there, walk this way, put this mask on. We're not having it anymore. It's as simple as that. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. It's Friday, it's 12.48, and it's time for this. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. Seeing full compliance in the uh, back room, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm uh, going to have to issue uh, insubordination reports. Yes, exactly. I think it's going to be required because uh, full compliance is required at all times. I will be confiscating their salaries. Perhaps uh, you could get the COVID uh, wardens involved. (laughs) <laughs> like a Perry's Marshal. <laughs> yes, Perry's Marshal. That's it. Get a high vis vest on. Oh, you amazing! That's uh, welcome uh, to uh, the Independent Republic. Good afternoon and welcome, uh, everyone. To Marta the Malagon Award. is here. In case you didn't know. Yes. Uh, watch. You should be watching as well. You should be way. watching definitely yeah. on YouTube or Twitter mm. or Facebook. Definitely. Wh- wherever you prefer. Wherever you We've prefer. Got so many choices. Yes. Uh, good afternoon and welcome to uh, the Perry Awards for the new listeners, which I know we've got many. This we have week. many. This is uh, where we look back over the past week of the so-called so Independent called. Republic of My Graham on Talk Radio and choose our favourite moments. And tradition says the first Perry goes to you. Thank you. And it's the classic Megan impression of the week. Marvelous. Harry, Harry, it's your birthday. You've got a special present for you. It's a signed picture of me. Which I'm going to give you alongside another present, which is a box set of suits. <laughs> nobody else has got one because nobody else bought one. But you can have mine. Happy birthday, Harry. That you know, really made me laugh. I can't believe I was watching back Lewis McLeod uh, from yesterday. Yes. And I can't believe I didn't do my Megan impression for him. I know. Him. You should have done that. So he's coming back next week, I think. He is. So I'm going to, you have to remind me to do it for him. I will. Which is always dangerous, though, because he's very good at it. Yes. Um, you know. Well, he he's a professional. He that's is. what he does for a living. He's, yes. Whereas, true. <laughs> you know, Whereas, you know um, I don't. Well, we've been very blessed this week, Mike, because really? uh, we've also you've also given us the Geoffrey Cox impression of the week. Oh yes. I cannot, in all good conscience, support Boris Johnson in this law-breaking endeavour. That's quite good, that. It is quite good, yeah. Sounds like him. Well done. Thank you. Uh, but how, however, you've just mentioned that um, Lewis McLeod joined us uh, yesterday mm. and he delivered a sensational impression of talk sports very on Jim White. What about Jim White? You can do Jim White probably because he does, uh, he used to do SGB. Jim White, well that's, that is really something. <laughs> Let's go to the phone line. That's super duper. Marvellous. That's a great, no. <laughs> sensational. Sensational. I mean, really? That, that, that really, that's, that's something else, isn't it? It's great. It's like he's here in the I room. I know, I know. I told him yesterday. I don't know whether he's had a chance to listen to it. But, so oh, goodness. We, see. we might have to just email him the clip. Yes, I'm, you so might have to. So he can listen to it. Yes. That's okay. I'll take care of that. Good. And this week's uh, James Larvin Perry Award for Technical Problems goes to travel guru Simon Calder. Mm. Now, Simon Calder knows a thing or two about travelling, but I don't think even he uh, knows whether there's alien life on Venus. But Simon's here now. Simon, a very good morning to you. Are you there, Simon? Have we lost him? Has he been kidnapped by aliens? No, no, no. no um, I'm is. definitely here, Mike. Oh, good. <laughs> Where was he? 
So he was Time aggressive. Um, no, because you know how he's done this before, that he'll have an earpiece on one ear in which he gets yes. your voice, mm-hmm. and then he'll be listening to something else at the same time, ah. like Grant Shapps or like some okay. travel sort of ah, announcement. Yes. Right. So I think there was some problem with like um, earpieces. Is this the then... one where he drank on air as well when he finished the pint? He yes. had a pint of beer, which <laughs> I thought was a great uh, addition. You know First what? time ever. He did tell me before he came on it. He was like, "Oh, it's all good. I've got a pint of beer." And I was like, "No, he must be joking." Surely. Yeah, it's like ten forty-five a.m. Yeah. and there he was. So you know. Well, you know, when you go on holiday, you usually have a drink at the airport, don't you? It could be oh yeah, seven o'clock in the morning. Listen, hashtag icon. Yeah, the I last know. time I went on holiday, I had a <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a um, box fizz. Yes. At about yeah, seven twenty. That's the permissible. I would say. I had breakfast with it as well. They say champagne is to be drunk in the morning, actually. Well, there you go. It's best for you in the morning, not well, so much go. in the afternoon. The bubbles are not so good. Oh, that's good to so know. So it's good in the morning. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, former Conservative MP and friend of the show, Stuart Jackson, wins a parry for the almost accurate saying of the week. There's a saying you'll know, Mike, that uh, revenge is a dish best eaten cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, I didn't notice that at the time. I know you didn't. <laughs> best served cold, Stuart. <laughs> Heaven's sake. That's okay. Yeah, why well, would you eat revenge? I don't know. I don't can think that's a good it? idea. Yeah. Well, I don't think you can. No. If you were going to, you should probably cook it first. Well, exa- oh yeah, Not definitely, cold. definitely. No. Yeah. Anyway, well, Stuart. um, as part of that same conversation mm. you had with Stuart Jackson, you guys were talking about the idea of Angela Rayner yes. going against Rishi Sunak on PMQs, and you delivered the analogy of the week. Well, she's uh, desperately underwhelming. Uh, she really is. Odds. She's not. Even Labour figures are saying that she's not landing a glove it'd be, on, it'd on be Rishi like, Sunak. It'd be like Real Madrid taking on Woking. <laughs> Which is very accurate. Yes, I think so. I mean, I kind of want to say as a Barcelona fan, they'd be like, yeah, Woking will destroy them. But no, yes, they wouldn't. <laughs> no, unless they hired uh, Lionel Messi for the day. Oh, gosh, no, don't, don't even you get You must be happy started. you didn't go anywhere. Well, actually, I'm not. Really? You wanted him to go? If that's what he wants, because yes. I think next season he's still going to be a Barcelona, but he's just not going to put effort into no. it. He's just going to be like walking along the pitch. Like Mind you, he's still pretty handy. good when he does that. Yeah, I know. You know, he's, he, I he, know. He, he, the best thing about him is he doesn't actually move very much. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And he still well. does quite a lot. Yeah, no, I know. But, you know, ideally, I just want him to want to stay. Okay. But, you know. Well, hey. we'll see. We'll update you on that one. Yes, definitely. Uh, <laughs> I, won't be the the one, I won't be the one updating Throughout you. the season. But, you know, there's a reason why I'm not a pundit on TalkSport, and that's this is it. Mm. Professor Carol Sikora uh, joined us earlier in the week yes. to talk about all things corona, and he also provided the mystery music of the week. There's nothing to stop 12 groups of six picturing up in the same pub. Right. So very difficult. No, exactly right. I assume that was a phone ringing. I presume. It's not like Colonel Bob Stewart, who, you remember, <laughs> denied <laughs> yes. that it was his phone that was ringing. It was like, well, it's not ours. It's not my phone. Definitely not my phone. <laughs> it was his landline. Yeah. I can confirm I know. it was his landline. Um, another one for you, Mike. Mm. Uh, congratulations is the wrong namer of the week. Let's talk to Gabby, who's up in Edinburgh. Hello, Gabby. Hello, um, it's Dexter, by the way, Mike. Um, Dexter. Who is it? Dexter. 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 Oh, Dexter. Okay, I don't know why it says Gabby. Then that's not even. That doesn't even sound like it was a mistaken hearing uh, problem. Oh, no, it's my name. My son name is Gabby, and this is. Oh, I see. Sorry, Dexter. So, Dexter is good. Mister Gabby. Mister Gabby. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the classic. Like Mister Blobby. It's the it's the classic Good Morning Graham. You know. I know. You've just done it to a guest. I know. And also, Dexter like, Gabby's quite a name, isn't it? it? Sounds like a kind of a private eye or something. I don't think it's real. You think he made it up? I think he made really? it up. Really? Because that's too cool a name to have. It's I a think. very cool name to have. It's like yeah. Max Power, you know? Yeah. Or Max yeah. Headroom. <laughs> well, for example. Yeah. Uh, on holiday, we had the parrot of the week. Yes. 
Um, but there are challenges with having them as well. Right. Um, and like any animal, you need to learn how to care for them. Oh, I can hear him. He's talking, isn't he? I mean, he's obviously enjoying the radio conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not. What was he saying? Couldn't make it out. He's speaking Spanish. I'd completely forgotten about the parrot. Actually, that's yeah. great. And also, I think I just said on holiday. I met on Monday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I missed that as well. Yes, I, I think I'm already on holiday. I need a holiday. There's no doubt hey, about that. Life parrots for everyone. Yes. Uh, Early in the week, we spoke to caller Grace in Belfast, who wins a parrot for the Intruder of the Week. Are you for real? Do you I know, know. three thousand two hundred people died here. <laughs> Did you hear that? At the Is end? That a cat. Hello. No, it's someone saying hello. Oh. Can we play that again? Can we play it again? Are you for real? Do you know, know. 3,200 people died here. You sure it's not a cat? <laughs> no, someone's saying hello. All right. Hello. Hello. Who says hello like that? Oh, it's Dexter. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not here to judge. No, me neither. Talk Radius Political uh, correspondent Charlotte Ivers yes. joined us live from Westminster mm. on Wednesday and she won a parry for the answer of the week. And people can see that you're now standing live on College Green for us down in Westminster, the home of the the, the former tent of common sense. Uh, what does it look like? How busy is it? Because the last time I was in Westminster, before Parliament reopened, it was like a it's ghost a town. Question. It has been pretty quiet here, to be honest. So there was just a lovely dog that came <laughs> and started climbing all over our kit. <laughs> There's a bit of an animal theme going on here today. <laughs> I think so. Dogs, cats, I parrots. So. And finally, yes. the joke of the week was delivered, but the one I, and only President Donald Trump. I want to say this to the people of the world. As one hockey stick said to the other, let's get the puck out of here. <laughs> Very good. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Well played. That's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.